He's a retired Massachusetts cop. He spent three decades during a time where mobsters ran without fear in the streets of Boston. He's here to talk about investigating James Whitey Bulger, Stephen the Rifleman Flemmy, his book, podcast, and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you by 4Patriots.com. That's number 4Patriots.com. They offer the world's best survival food, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X and more. And right now, you can go to 4Patriots.com and use code LET to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store. You'll also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97. And a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to 4Patriots.com. That's a number 4Patriots.com. Use code LET to get 10% off. Contact is from Massachusetts. We have retired Massachusetts State Trooper Joe Sicardo. Joe worked organized crime for many years in the Boston area. Chased down all the bad guys we know. He also has a book called Capable. And he has a podcast by the same name. Joe, number one, thanks for your service. Number two, thank you for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. You're more than welcome, sir. I, I got to tell you, the first thing, uh, first thing I think of is, is Whitey Bulger. I also think of this old television show a long time ago. I think they set it in Providence, Rhode Island, but it was based off the loosely off the Winter Hill Gang and the politicians called Brotherhood. And they didn't portray the Massachusetts State Police in a very favorable light. Do you know that series I'm talking about? No, I don't, but I, can, I know why they didn't, probably, because we were chasing them all over the area. That's why. <laughs> we, were, we were on them. It was never-ending. <laughs> and I, I can't wait to have some of the conversations, because this is a topic we don't get to talk about very much. And i got to say this. We'll talk about your career and what it's like chasing them down. But i got to ask you, man-to-man, police aside, I'm of Irish descent. My grandparents immigrated from County Cavan, Ireland. I do have I have a strong dislike for James Whitey Bulger and for corrupt Irishmen. I really can't stomach them. Did you find that to be a personal issue for you as well? I absolutely did. I'm, I'm half Irish and half Italian, and I always knew that people call me uh, uh, behind my my back, never to my uh, you know an. an, an and uh, and when I got into law enforcement, I saw that these Italian uh, mobsters were uh, spoiling the great reputation of both Italian and Irish, yeah. of uh, great people from the Boston area. That I know that we, you know, the Italians in particular, were being stereotyped because of maybe a possible connection to the mafia. Right. Well, here's the thing. And Hollywood loves to portray a certain type of stereotype when it comes to police. Look. I am the stereotypical Irish Catholic, knuckle-dragging Neanderthal cop. Look, <laughs> I tell people all the time, I could be 85 years old in the old folks' home and some of go, shh, there's 5-0. It, it's, it's part of my thing. And I'm not embarrassed about any of that. Um, but 
Hollywood, what they portray, is not the truth. I don't like Hollywood. That's no. the, the least strong word I can use. I've I've seen them. I've seen celebrities when they're in action, and uh, I will give this to several people from the Boston area, Casey, uh, um, not Casey, uh, Affleck and Damon in the Wahlbergs. They seem to be handling themselves well, and they. They, they, after many years of being involved in Hollywood, they seem to be ripping away and doing a lot more of uh, movie production in the Boston area. And that's, uh, and, and talking about a uh, stone cold Irish uh, knuckle dragon, that the several people have asked me that thought the book was well written, did I have a ghostwriter? And I said, no, uh, it's kind of an insult and a compliment all in the same sentence. And I told him, I said, go back to the book and you'll see the acknowledgments. And what I acknowledge is there was a divine intervention in my writing. I'm not an author. I'm not a, I'm not a writer. I'm not, I am now. But it took a lot of people helping me out along the way and uh, getting information that I would not normally have been able to get uh, under the circumstances. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that aspect of things when it comes to life. Yeah, they really portray the Italians not well, and they also portray Joe. I love a lot of those old movies, Goodfellas, uh, Godfather. Oh, yeah. you know, I love that stuff, but I know it's fake, and I know it doesn't represent the vast majority of people. Uh, no, you got exposed to this element even before you got into police work, didn't you? Yeah, I had an. Uh, I knew uh, Steve Flemmy, who was a. Uh, what I thought a low-level bookie in, a, in, in, in crime in Boston, and I uh, met his, uh, I knew his, uh, what would become his um, paramour, his, the mother of his three children, and, uh, and to this day, we uh, actually communicate uh, with each other as he sits in the prison in uh, New York, I believe it's in New York, and it's for, like, cooperating witnesses, and there's more to that story that I can't uh, talk about right now because I'm looking to get more information out of him, but I'm not being allowed to by the uh, Boston office of the U.S. Attorney. Yeah, well, that that's that really casts big aspersions on one of the stereotypes. The, the stereotypes is if someone's a mobster, they don't talk to police and they don't like yeah. police. And it seems to be in fashion nowadays to say, you know, I don't like the cops. I tell people all the time, look, I'm a retired yeah. police sergeant. You don't like cops? That's fine, but you're not gonna like me either. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've sort of um, been witness to some of that, but not, a, a, you know, I'm not, I'm, I've been out 28 years retired. I have a standing joke that uh, the State Retirement Board has a poster up there, uh, Joe Sicado wanted dead or alive, preferably dead, because uh, because of the pension aspect that I've been able to have for, for 28 years. And, um, so, you know, so far, so good, God's kept me alive. And I know why, but uh, we won't get into that. But uh, that's, you know, I, I I didn't really experience what's going on in policing today uh, against cops, particularly in the inner cities. And not to get into politics, but uh, you don't have to, you know, read between the lines. They're led by folks that uh, just in Chicago, they just elected a mayor that yeah. is down on cops already. It's something we don't talk about, but it, it's it's a very a hidden in view secret. And it's not a secret. Who's behind all this? I got to say this. you I retired in 92. Now, granted, I got hurt and I was retired young. I was 33 in an act of violence. So I think I got you beat as far as uh, collecting a retirement. <laughs> Very few of us. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, went all, I went all in 95. Yeah. Well, and we used to say all the time, and I'm sure you encountered this. 
when you're you're, you're a young cop, you always get that mouthy person who says, you know, I pay your salary. Oh, well, yeah. uh, I turn around and say, they also pay for my retirement, and i got to say thank you very much. <laughs> I used to say it because I had a friend tell me that. And I said, you don't make enough to pay for my oh, retirement. <laughs> we used to do all. And I was so poor, Joe, I would flip them a nickel and say, here's your contribution to my wages. And uh, now we're even. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's good, John. So uh, you got exposed to the, the, the mobsters, and I'm air quoting mobsters, because that's a term that I, I think Hollywood invented. But um, I, I got to say this. I look at James Waddy Bulger. I look at Steve Fleming, and I don't know them personally. I never met them. They've never done anything to me. However, I don't hold them in high esteem. Uh, I, I really don't. I think from what I met with most so-called killers, and I'm air quoting, they were cowards behind the gun. Well, yeah. Jimmy Baldwin was not a big guy. Neither was Steve. Uh, they knew once they were rising in the ranks of organized crime, not the mafia, because neither one of them were ever in the mafia. Uh, Baldwin couldn't get in because he was Irish. James, uh, Jimmy Moderano and his brother John could not be because their mother was Irish. They were not going to get inducted. Uh, Steve Fleming said he never wanted to get into it, but I think his mother may not have been fully Italian also. But uh, James Baldwin, Jimmy, is not a big guy and uh, he hid behind the gun, and he hid behind other guys. I don't think he, and I'm, this is in retrospect, uh, as it was, if he didn't have a gun, he wouldn't have been as tough as uh, he portrayed himself Absolutely. to be. And if he didn't have a lot of backup around, he certainly wouldn't. We're talking with Joe Sicardo, retired Massachusetts State Trooper. He specialized, he investigated the mobsters that ruled Boston. He wrote a book called Capable. He's got a podcast called Capable. We return to the Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to talk about investigating organized crime and more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Authorities are now checking our grid for vulnerabilities. They've identified nine key substations. If these substations are attacked, power could be knocked out from coast to coast for up to 18 months. Imagine a blackout lasting not days, but weeks or months. Your life would be frozen in time right at the moment the power fails. Lights all over the country would go out, throwing people into total darkness. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. With the new Patriot Power Generator 2000X, you get a solar generator that doesn't install into your house because it's portable. You can take it with you, even use it inside. But it's powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, or even your fridge. And right now, you can go to 4 and use code LET to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in a store, including the Patriot Power Generator. You also get their famous guarantee for an entire year after your order. Plus, free shipping on orders over $97, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families. Just go to 4 That's the number 4 Patriots.com and use code LET to get 10% off. That's for Patriots.com. Use code LET to get yours today. Connecting with Joe Sicardo on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Joe is a retired Massachusetts State Trooper. He worked for years investigating organized crime in the streets of Boston. Folks like James Waddy Bulger, also Stephen Rifleman Flemmy. His book is called Capable. He also has a podcast called Capable. Joe, I, again, thanks for all you did. I understand that you knew Steve, and you, you kind of alluded to this earlier, that you knew Steve Flemmy before you were even policing. Is that correct? Yeah, I had an indirect um 
uh, invitation with him. I met him in the early 65, 66, if I recall, at a wedding or a wake, and I think it was a wake. And but what transpired thereafter in 1967, I was preparing uh, to get on the state police, and I got a call that would I please take Marion, his common law wife, to the hospital to have a baby, and I did, and I went to the wrong uh, hospital. I got a fifteen dollar ticket. I was upset about the whole thing, and I come home and I told my wife, who told her girlfriend, who was the sister of Marion. They were very close friends out in the Boston section of Dorchester. And Dorchester is a very, very close community in the, in the city of Boston. That's so Boston is, too. Uh, very homogeneous. In any event, uh, the word got back to Steve that, uh, you know, I was kind of upset, and I got the ticket. And so he wanted to get us. Uh, nobody probably knows what this is today. Bassinet, because my wife was uh, pregnant with my second child, Joe. And I didn't want it and because several weeks later, I, we went into the State Police Academy in July 5th, 1967. Well, that year, Steve had killed three people in 1967. Here I am, not knowing much about law enforcement, that he was like a low-level bookie, maybe a, a loan shark or a, a, you know, an all-around thug. And two of the people that he killed are still missing to this day. They were buried uh, uh, elsewhere, and he did kill this guy in December 67. And he did go uh, get uh, they got a, an indictment for it, which he beat. And he beat it because of this corrupt uh, FBI agent named Paul when I say beat, he took off after he got indicted, him and um, Frankie, who was a co-defendant in the case. And five years later, he came back uh, under the auspices of Paul, and they dismissed the charges against uh, Flemmy and uh, and uh, it went nowhere in the relationship to this guy being shot and killed one of the Bennett brothers in 67 December. And also uh, this other, they, att they attempted to kill a lawyer by the name of John Fitzgerald. They bombed his car, but he survived. So uh, that was the beginning of him being, being Steve, uh, top echelon informant with the FBI, which I think is the most ridiculous program that I believe is still out there. But through the years, um, we would cross paths, uh, uh, these social uh, you know, functions, again, the, the wedding, which I write about in the book. And I don't want to get into too much about it. Nobody will buy the book, but uh, it was an interesting meeting that I had with him in the 90s. I agree, yeah. In relating to an investigation that I was doing, I was in internal affairs, and it had to do with him. I got to ask you this. Did you have any idea what kind of guy Steve Fleming was, what kind of crimes he did when you helped him and his soon-to-be wife out? No, I didn't. I didn't realize until I went on the state police and uh, I started doing investigations with organized crime. I was on the road for a couple of three, four, five years. And uh, then as of the 73, 74, 75, I get into the, uh, every trooper has to do some road time. And, right. uh, and the best is to get about four or five years on the road and then, you know, see if you can go someplace and do investigations, which I basically did. And um, I, that's when I started learning about them. And uh, them being uh, James Bulger and Flemmy and all the cohorts that uh, they had around them. And then uh, we, I did a wiretap with another trooper, John who I talk about in the book, who got framed by the FBI. And uh, that's another story. And in any event, um, we found out, we being the state police through informants, that the local bookmakers who, you know, they're independent, uh, were starting to pay what they called rent. And uh, uh, a clinical word for that is they were paying extortion mm -hmm. to uh, Flemmy and Bulger and the Angelos, which was the, the uh, titular head of the mafia in Boston, the Angelo brothers. 
and we did a wiretap, and that's when I uh, was introduced to John Monterano because we got him on a good call. And uh, I saw him in court, and he was the uh, epitome of a, of a wise guy. And I said, this guy's the real deal. And at that time, he, he had killed many people. That was 1976. And it's funny, I went to the, had to go to the Plymouth House of Correction where he was being held and uh, to interview a couple of fellas. And uh, I, I met a few other bookies who worked for Monterano. And I said, hey, how's it going? And we could talk to, you know, I, I, I again, I put in the book. I, I didn't meet a book I, I didn't like except one that I put in the book. And uh, in any event, uh, they said, he, he doesn't even talk to us. <laughs> and I said, you're kidding me. And he said, no. He said, uh, they, he won't even talk to these two guys because one of the guys, Jimmy Timothy, received a phone call at his house sent by uh, John Monterano. We were on his phone, the uh, wiretap, and uh, and that's how we got uh, John Monterano. He served three to six uh, low-level case, uh, low-level sentence in the House of Correction. Did you set out to do this kind of work, or did it kind of fall in your lap? I... Uh, you know, I love the road, and don't get me wrong. Uh, you learn on the road. But I had a friend that said, well, yeah, listen, come on. He was in doing the that type of work. And he said, why don't you come on in with us? And I said, okay. And I, got, I was able to go in and uh, work uh, with uh, these guys. And uh, as the years went on, I was taking promotional exams. But every time I got promoted, I went back to the road, the Norwell barracks, and which I didn't mind because that was the main job, and I loved uh, doing that. Then I'd go back into investigations, uh, OC. So I'd say probably almost half of my career, maybe a little bit more, was investigating, uh, you know, gaming, uh, loan shocks, organized crime, and and then it flourished to a huge, larger unit uh, years later. Intelligence. When I had, I was in, I went up to captain, and I was in internal uh, affairs, and they moved. Uh, they really got more sophisticated than it was during my day. But we did a lot of wiretaps. We did taps. Uh, I did four or five taps with the FBI, and uh, we were very successful. There was an FBI agent, if my memory's correct, that wound up getting uh, jammed up and going to prison over his handling yeah. of Whitey Bulger and all them, correct? Yeah, more or less uh, Steve Fleming. That was Paul Rico. Him and another agent named Dennis Condon were early, um, how can I say, activists in the community in Boston going after folks to make them informants. And he did, in fact, do that with Stevie Fleming and his brother Jimmy. And they were in this top echelon informant program starting way back in the 60s. And then they, uh, Jimmy Bulger matriculated into it in the 70s. And his handler was John Conley, who unfortunately was corrupted by these uh, these two gentlemen, uh, Fleming and Bulger. And as you it use turns that out, term gentleman loosely like I do. <laughs> yes. And, uh, Sometimes it's the only appropriate thing to say because I'm not with FCC rules. I'm not allowed to use a language I prefer. Yeah, well, that's why I do podcasts. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have a little bit more freedom. One of the things that, that we're going to talk about is uh, the, the interesting part. I, I feel, and I would love to hear your point of view on this. We return is how these organized crime groups try to corrupt police officers and get them. On, uh, on their payroll. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with Joe Sicardo, retired Massachusetts State Trooper, talking about investigating organized crime in Boston, like James Whitey Bulger, Stephen Rifleman Flemmy. His book is called Capable, and his podcast is called Capable as well. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
sure to check out our great podcast on hefepods.com. That's spelled J-E-F-E pods.com. You'll find an ever-growing selection of shows, some of which are hosted by your favorite radio personalities, from popular English language shows to the hard-to-find Spanish language shows. Check out the newest episodes of Taylor's Table, the Haunting or Not podcast, and more. They can all be found at hefepods.com. That's J-E-F-E pods.com. And be sure to tell a friend or two or three. I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to HarmonyWithFood.com and click on the testing tab. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're turning our conversation with Joe Sicardo, interesting guy, retired from the Massachusetts State Police long time ago. He's been pensioning for a very, very long time. He investigated organized crime in the streets of Boston. Uh, people like James Whitey Bulger, Stephen the Rifleman Flemmy. And he wrote a book called Capable, which is doing very well. And he has a podcast called Capable as well. Before we went to break, and earlier in the interview, St- Joe, you talked about uh, Steve Fleming. When you took his wife-to-be to the hospital to deliver their baby, you got a ticket. And uh, understandably, you're a little upset. And they try to make things right. And he offered you a new bassinet for your baby. And you turned yep. it down. The first thing, yes. and that, my alarm bells started going off my head because day one in the academy, they started preaching about your integrity, your integrity, and how these criminals of every ilk would try to get you to accept the slightest thing so they could get you under their thumb. Was that why you didn't take the, the bassinet? Well, yeah, at the time, I uh, knew somewhat of his criminality, being Steve Fleming, and I said, I don't want anything to do with this in, in preparation for the State Police Academy. And uh, I passed on that issue, and I'm glad I did. And the other thing I'm glad I never did, but and I was never trying later years to make him an informant of mine. I'll tell you one reason why. I didn't have too many informants, because I didn't like them. No. I had, a, uh, you know, in the book, I threw an informant out when I was in charge of the AG's office, because uh, the FBI told me he was uh, dancing with the dirt people down in Jersey doing coke and I threw him out of the office that's how much I didn't like him he was doing not that great of work as an informant for us but in any event uh, yeah so through the years uh, with uh, with Steve and his brother his brother was worse than him he was uh, Jimmy he was a, a, a killer and uh, Steve admitted to about 10 or 11 murders himself and the sad part too is and I I, I, uh, I profiled six women in the book that uh, were killed by organized crime. Three of them are, are solved and three are not. Two of them were the two Debbies, I call them. One was Debbie Hussein, who was Steve's uh, half-stepdaughter, uh, and he killed her for nefarious reasons, and he had a girlfriend also named Debbie Debbie Davis, and he killed her because she knew too much about him being in conjunction with John Conley as an informant. And then there was a couple of other people that John Monterano was uh, admitted to uh, killing a gal, uh, Elizabeth Dixon, the eight, 19-year-old girl, and he uh, was, uh, in my opinion, um, 
uh, two other murders that he was indirectly involved with. And I profile him in the, in the book. And as I say, that's a 50 percent, uh, well, less than a 50 percent succession rate on, um, how can I say, uh, solving these murders. And most of them occurred in, the, in, the, in Boston and Suffolk County. But to go on in relationship to these people and how, you know, you, you've got to watch out as a police officer. You know, I testified in Marion Hussey's wrongful death lawsuit against the FBI, the federal government, because because of Steve Fleming, uh, he killed her and the FBI was protecting he and Jimmy Bulger and three assistant U.S. attorneys who were fighting the lawsuit asked me about who did I trust during the days that I was trying to find Debbie Hussey because Marion asked me to find her. And of course, I couldn't. I didn't because she was already dead. And they said, well, who do you trust? And I told them I didn't trust anybody because I knew who he was. And I didn't want to expose Marion uh, in the sense that she didn't want anybody to know. And I said, uh, they said, who do you trust? And I said, I don't trust anybody from the FBI on down. Now, I had been retired at that point. So I was I was correct on that one. And because. Uh, Steve and uh, Jimmy and others worked with the FBI, right. and you had two. And I want to, I, I want to just stop one second. I work with a lot of good agents for the FBI. Oh and, yeah, you know, I, don't get me. I I, I agree, one hundred percent. Yes, I, and great guys. And a couple of them are friends of mine to this day, retirees also. And one, and one, call, you know, one of them uh, basically uh, challenged me on one issue in the book, and and emailed, and we emailed back and forth. And uh, and I, I expected to be challenged at some issues, particularly with the FBI, but we're friends. But I, I but there were some dis- you know, John Conley, uh, I met him and knew him, and he was, uh, he was <laughs> I, I thought he was a pretty reputable guy, but evidently uh, him and this uh, other agent, John Morris, and don't get me wrong, I, I profiled Dick Snyder in the state police, who was our corrupt guy, and we had a few others along the line uh, during that period. Coincidentally enough, my career spanned all those years, 67 to uh, 95, that all this was going on in the city of Boston. And, and you know, I'm a city kid, and I, you know, I, I recognize, you know, at some point what was going on because all these guys were city kids, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And nothing against troopers that come from western Massachusetts who don't have an idea of what's going on in the city of Boston. You have to be a city kid. And I found out the best that detectives in Boston and otherwise were guys that came from the city. So you had experience with these mobbed up guys since you were a kid? Yeah, I, you know, I knew who, who guys were in the neighborhood and uh, who to stay away from. <laughs> And I, my, I, I'm, I'm just laughing here. Uh, my father would come home from work, and I'd, he'd play the numbers. They used to call it the numbers. Oh, and yeah. I'd bring the numbers up to the bookie up in the, in the bar, uh, Coley. And uh, I, uh, that was the name of the bar. And Sandy was the bookie. And uh, I got a good uh, anecdotal story about Sandy. He passed away uh, some years ago, and he was, I didn't realize he was an AA. And his last death wish, he drank a bottle of scotch. <laughs> this, was, this was Sandy the bookmaker, a good guy. Some way the history of this, like Baltimore, uh, the politicians in particular, stems from the numbers and the bookies. And maybe it was a different time. Maybe I'm looking back nostalgically, and some of this before my time as well, but you definitely felt the influence of these people. They were not violent. There seems to be a big difference between the Boston mob and the Baltimore crime syndicates when it came to violence at the same time period. Yeah, well, the only guy that was violent was John Monterano. He admitted to 20 murders. And most of them were to cover up for somebody else that uh, was a witness to a murder. 
uh, one of his buddies, and uh, he he indiscriminately would kill, and he killed the wrong people, misidentified them, and you know he only turned evidence, federal evidence against Steve and Jim Bulger because they were all in the state of the House of Corrections together after they got arrested in '95. Bulger was on the lam, Flemmy was there, and Moderano, and then he found out uh, through a court proceedings, he being uh, John Moderano, that Flemmy and Bulger were top echelon informants for the FBI. So as I write, uh, John Moderano is not, not a stupid person. He ran and he won the immunity race. He got his lawyer to talk to um, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and he fessed up. And I have a copy of his debriefings, and half of it I don't believe in the sense. I'll give you one example. He says he goes to a murder to kill some people. Uh, and he did. He killed three people in 1968 in January. A young girl that I just mentioned, uh, Elizabeth Dixon, and this kid, Dougie Barrett, and this guy, Smuckle Smitty, who was driving the car. He put one in Smitty's uh, temple, in the right temple, and then the left temple of the girl sitting in the front seat, and Dougie Barry sitting next to him in the back seat. He hit him with the right temple. The bullet went through his head and out the glass uh, window. And uh, I wanted to corroborate that from his uh, debriefing with the Boston police. Only one issue that the ignition keys were taken, and they were, uh, according to the Boston police report. But what I'm getting at is that you know these murders were just. Yeah, there's more to that than I want to say right yeah. now. And, and quite the often they, they did one or two things. They either downplay their role. Oh, it was an accident. I didn't mean to kill him. Or they over-dramatize and glorify their actions. I did this, this, and this. Big braggarts. Well, that's why that I, I hate memorializing these guys. I have to tell the story, and I had to tell the story. But John Monterano, one of our local TV uh, radio station guys, he wrote a book called The Hitman. And it much more or less memorialized John Monterano. Well, I went into the depths of his debriefings because that writer did not have a copy of John Monterano's debriefings from what I can what I can see. And the guy's a good writer. He's written two or three books about uh, organized crime in Boston. But he didn't have what I was able to get. And I put in the book where I got it. I got it at the uh, Boston University um, Yuga Library, which I'm a graduate of, so I have access to the library. And uh, either way, I got the stuff. I'm but, so glad uh, you did. I agree with you. I don't like giving them any, any limelight nothing. whatsoever. We're talking with Joe Sicardo. There's so much more to talk about. Boston... Organized crime, mobsters, his book, podcast, and more. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Have I got a deal for you? No, I'm not trying to sell you a bridge or swampland. Enter contests for your chance to win great prizes by subscribing to the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wally, returning our conversation with Joe Sicardo. Joe is a retired Massachusetts State Trooper. Thanks for your service. He investigated organized crime, mobsters in Boston, James Waddy Bulger, Stephen Reifman Flemmy, and more. And he wrote a book called Capable. He also has a podcast, the same name, Capable. 
One of the things, and I, I think you and I both agree on, I know you, uh, two things you and I agree on. Number one, I don't like informants. I, I, I had past episodes. I didn't like working with them. We had so many steps we took because they were all shady. They're all manipulative. Very yep. few were doing it for the right reason. We'd have to strip them down naked for controlled buys beforehand. You name it. Oh, yeah. uh, and then afterwards. Uh, so I see the depictions on Hollywood of, of how cops just let informants go run wild. And I know I didn't do that. I suspect you didn't do that. We've even had oh. guests on a show. Remember Dirty John? He was an informant for a guy named Chris Berg. Check out the podcast, Law Enforcement Today, and find it for free. So yeah. uh, that was one thing you and I agree on. I didn't like informants. Number two, I don't want to glorify bad guys at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't care about their manifestos. I don't care about their reasons. I don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, we had our bad guys in law enforcement here during that period. I, I bring them to the fore a little more than some others may have done. So, you know, it's it, it wasn't easy for me to do. I knew it would be challenging some issues, and I did. But I wrote the book because I started I just joined this trooper of name, which got framed by the FBI. Of course, I didn't know it at the time. So I went to the case files at the, the Federal uh, Archives in Waltham, and I went through his trial uh, transcripts, and I, I come across a couple of things, and I couldn't believe it, that had never been uh, reported or uh, known about. I did. I, t- I testified at his trial for uh, corrupt um, five counts, and he got found not guilty on four. In the fifth day, they negotiated away and uh, told him that if he retires, then they won't uh, bring up uh, a retrial on that fifth count. And that's what got me interested. I said, "Son of a." So this, this is, they lied about things. They didn't report things that in, 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 the, in the trial of, of Namovich, and they, they eventually framed him. So I, I started seeing, reading other things, and seeing these names and buppity bup, and nobody seemed to be reporting on them. And I took an interest in them, especially the six women that got killed that I profile in the book. And I went to the Boston Police uh, Unsolved Homicide. They were very good to me in other areas. But that was, that was the interest at the time, because I, did, I just didn't see things the way, I saw them. How's that? Yeah. During those uh, those 28, 30 years of law enforcement, I, I said, this is this is not the way it was. And, uh, I, you know, as you get older and you're in the job, you find out things that you didn't know. And I was uh, sort of getting uh, upset about what was being not reported and, and lies and so forth. Don't get me wrong, I'm a human being, too. You know, I'm no, nobody's perfect, at least right. of all me. But in any event, um, uh, that's what really... Plus the, the the women that got murdered. I, I only put six in there. There's this, this so many several others that uh, nobody's ever written about, and uh, what their family, the trauma that their families have gone through. And as I say, there's of the three that I wrote about, they're still unsolved. Um, you know, and I yeah, that's that's basically you know I can get emotional about it, but I don't want to. I hear because, you. Uh, there's things even to this day, Joe, that I tell people I, I've deliberately forgotten a lot of names because I don't. Want yeah. them renting, renting any space in my head, but there's still things yep. that come to my mind. But I at least yep. want them, and we're not invited. And yeah, it's uh, and here's one of the things I got to ask you this because, and again, you and I both have the same disdain for Hollywood. And when I say Hollywood, that includes the news media, social media, books as well. They act like police don't want to solve murders if someone comes from an at-risk lifestyle, and yeah. we're not bothered by it. How how unfall uh, how false is that? That we don't want to investigate right. people. Oh, oh, she was a streetwalker. That we wash our hands of that one. 
for example. Well, you know, I, John, I hate to disagree. I found that I find that that it was possibly going on in Boston to a greater extent. That John Monterano uh, had a great quote that I did not put in the book because the person that gave it to me, I thought that he may not stand up to it if he was scrutinized. So the point is that I started researching uh, black females that were murdered in the 60s based on the comment that was given to me with regards to John Monterano. He was a pimp. All right. At 23 years old, he was arrested in bed and out of clothing with a prostitute. And then he had Boston police reports uh, that I went over and copied and found that he was getting money from certain women. He married a prostitute. So what I'm getting at is that, you know, to a certain extent, I I, I disagree with that, that uh, I would love to do further research, but I just don't have the time. I started a second book and uh, I don't have a lot of time now to do it, that uh, these people were, um, you know, even to the extent that I'd looked at the Boston Strangular Murders, the, yeah. those women were all uh, killed in John Moderano's uh, sphere of geographical influence in the South End section of Boston. A lot of them were on the periphery of the South End, and that's where John Moderano and his brother and a few others spent many of the years because they owned a place based Basin Street South and another place in that area back in the 60s and 70s. John Moderano's father owned an after-hours place in the notorious combat zone in Boston over a place called the Intermission Lounge, and that's where they found the body of Margaret Sylvester. Uh, who uh, was killed by, in my opinion, one of the uh, uh, somebody other than uh, people would think. Right. Let's put it that way. How okay. did you get the idea to start writing a book, and, and what was the process for writing the book capable? Well, you know, people started giving me things. Uh, they must, I don't know if they knew that I was interested in that I was doing research. And I got some some good material that I had said earlier that I would not normally have been able to get a hold of. But I've been out of, I had been out of the job, so I started doing this around uh, 2010, somewhere around there, part-time. Nothing was full-time, and uh, just got deeper and deeper, and I just sit down, start writing and writing and, you know, uh, processing stuff that I had received, and then I get more stuff, and I processed that and then wrote it down, and, uh, I, you know, I just kept going, and I, I know I've been accused that nicely that, I, you know, the people are writing, reading the book twice because there's so much information in it, and I guess that wasn't necessarily my purpose, but I, I, I just... I just had to tell everything that I found out, and I and I tell people the same thing all the time. I said I got for the stuff that I put in that book, I got ninety nine percent of it. I got a piece of paper for the other is anonymous sources. Right, right. So, well, I don't know if that answers uh, your question. A lot of that, our investigations are based off that. You needed more than that to take them to court, but that's how yeah. we got the ball rolling. What was your goal in writing the book? Was there any to, to help you feel better? Uh, look, when I retired, but, yeah. it, I, I my job is not to put cuffs on bad guys anymore. Yeah. All right. So my goal, uh, I'm going to be honest with this. The I used to accuse John Monterano of making a deal with the devil. It's the other way around. The devil made a deal with him. And that was the United States Attorney's Office in Boston and in Justice down in, in Washington. If I was Monterano, I would have made the same deal. He came forward with his attorney. He had a great attorney, Frank Demento. And they, he got a fantastic deal. He only spent a, three years minimum in prison. He got arrested in 95 and 97, 98. He started to talk. And that, I said to myself, 
that is the problem. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston gave him a good, and unfortunately, there were troopers that I uh, I work with and great guys that uh, debriefed him, and they they heard his story, and a DEA agent, another good guy, but they are the uh, subservient to the assistant U.S. attorneys that they work for. In other words, I work for the assistant U.S. I, I was trying to move on a guy years ago that I got him on a wiretap, and the U.S. attorney didn't want to go. Right. Oh, I yeah. This guy's a wise guy. This guy's a, he's a made guy, as they say. Yeah. He didn't want to do it. That's, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not I, surprised. You know, What's you, the old saying? That, and I think it's Japanese. always say, uh, a fish rots him to head down. People, yes. people tend to think it's the street cops is the problem, and it's not. It's usually City Hall. When I say City yeah. Hall, that means federal and state and city governments as well, and it's uh, the branches you would least expect that yes. are the dirtiest. We're talking with Joe Sicardo. Where can people get your book, and then where can they consume your podcast? You can get the book at mascotbooks.com, M-A-S-C-O-T books.com. Go to the bookstore, and uh, they can go on the podcast platforms. We're a little, uh, one of my partners uh, has some ill health, so we're a little behind, but there's about two or three years worth of pods, and we get into more than the uh, the the, uh, the book. And that's why I started it. I wanted to push the book. I'm, as uh, you know, I'm, who am I? I'm just a guy that, just started writing a book and now it's published and you know, the Boston Globe isn't going to come to me and do a review, believe me, because I take them to task in the book also. Good for you. On, uh, We're going to wrap on, things up. Joe, I want to thank you for your service. Number one. Right. Number two, really thank you for sharing your story on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. You're welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.